Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, God, a time to gather with your people, a time to gather as your people. Uh, God, we celebrate uh, the coming of our Savior Jesus. Uh, Lord, as we pause in this season to celebrate uh, his birth, uh, God, by which we have seen his perfect life, uh, life filled with perfect obedience to you, uh, fulfilling all of your law's demands, uh, living a life uh, proclaiming the good news of your kingdom, the good news of freedom and rescue. Uh, God, we anticipate his return one day uh, where he makes all things right. And in the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would uh, grow us to be more like your son, Jesus, that you would stir our minds, attention, and our hearts' affection back to you with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would give us understanding of your scriptures that you inspired, and Lord, that you empower us to obey uh, God and shape us in our identity as your children. We ask these things in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is God's word. Friends, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. But we often forget this news. We often forget this news by uh, being distracted by other things or other pursuits, even good things. But the good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus saves us, but that Jesus provides the remedy for our forgetfulness. When we forget the gospel, uh, there are tragic things that can happen personally and in community. We lose track of mission. We lose track of our identity in Christ. We have, in essence, gospel amnesia. We forget the good news of who Christ is and what he's done for us. But the good news is that Jesus rescues us even from our amnesia. Have you ever forgotten something? I mean totally forgotten, so like blew it, just ultimate fail. I mean, sometimes you maybe forget where you place your keys or you'll go out uh, one you know, evening and not realizing the temperature will drop and you forgot to bring your jacket and you're, you're cold as it gets darker. Or um, you know, maybe it could be something small like that. Have you ever forgotten an anniversary, gentlemen? Have you ever forgotten a birthday? Have you ever forgotten uh, an important uh, events in somebody's life? Have you ever forgotten to show up somewhere where you were supposed to be? Uh, Every year, this sounds mean, it's not meant to, but every year I love daylight savings time, uh, especially on Sundays as a pastor of a church, because you can usually see who forgot that it was daylight savings time, right? I mean, in the history of our church, in the several years we've been in existence, these people aren't here, so we can talk about them, it's okay. Um, But a couple years ago, there were several occasions where people would forget to set their clocks. And so there was one occasion where, um, you know, the band was rehearsing, you know, one morning, uh, and, and the person forgot to set their clock, so they showed up an hour early. And, and this poor person was just sitting right up front as the band was playing. She looked to her right, she looked to her left, and she finally came up and said, Jeremy, where, are we having church today? <laughs> she goes, where is everybody? And I said, oh, 
you must have forgot to set your clock. You're actually an hour early, which was awesome. Has that ever happened to you? Of course not, because you all have smartphones that set the clocks for you. But often we forget little things like that, and it can be funny. And it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be that big of a deal. But when we forget the gospel, it's a very big deal. Most of us in the overchurched South have heard the gospel, have had some experience with the gospel. In fact, if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, chances are you still heard the good news of Jesus at some point. You have heard somebody proclaim the gospel to you at some point. In our cultural context, you would be hard-pressed to have not heard the gospel at some point in time. But the biggest problem, I think, for you and I today is not lack of hearing the gospel. It's forgetting what we've heard. It's forgetting the good news. It's forgetting uh, the, the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we like to call this gospel amnesia that we hear something and it goes in one ear and out the other, or it doesn't register in our lives so it doesn't change us or transform us to a point that we actually apply the effects of the good news of Jesus. There's a great book called Gospel Amnesia by an author named Luma Sims, and she says gospel amnesia is assuming, forgetting, and marginalizing the gospel in your life. And this can happen personally, and it can happen in a church. When we lose sight of the good news of who Christ is and what he's done, because often we replace that good news with other things. We replace that good news with a list of rules or a list of traditional axioms that you feel like you must fit in to be a part of a community, or you marginalize it to the point that you pursue other sinful or selfish or cultural pursuits at the expense of the good news, or you forget the mission of proclaiming this good news and displaying the effects of this good news through obedience because of whatever. Gospel amnesia is a very real problem for you and I today, and it has been around for thousands and thousands of years. We see the writer of Hebrews is writing um, the early Christian church who had a great religious tradition, great uh, religious knowledge. They uh, had great understanding even of the Old Testament and the implications of God's law to his people. They understood God's love, God's covenant. They understood their obedience uh, that they were supposed to uh, live out as God's people. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to the first century church to remind them to not forget the gospel because they were. There were people in the early Christian church saying, you know what, this Christianity thing maybe is one of many good, uh, cool religions we can incorporate. There was ra- rampant paganism, rampant um, uh, worldly, worldly uh, cultural, traditional things that were accepted in the Greco-Roman world of the first century. And so many people in the Christian church were saying, yeah, we'll incorporate this Christian thing into the life we already are living. Also, there were other people in the early Christian church saying, you know, we, we get this Jesus thing, we get this uh, Messiah situation, but we kind of like the old school uh, Judaism. We kind of want to go back to that. 
And in so doing, we're forgetting the gospel that Jesus is the rescuer that God has been promising for generations, that Jesus is the true and better king that God's people were anticipating, that Jesus is the true and better priest that makes all things right, that rectifies the broken relationship between man and God and man with each other. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Isn't that a great Christmas message? You're here today as we're getting close to Advent, and we're in the Advent season, we're getting close to Christmas, and uh, doesn't it make you feel good for a preacher to stand up here and say, Hey everybody, uh, it's hard to explain this because you're dull of hearing. Merry Christmas. But here's the truth. We forget the gospel. We become dull of hearing. The first century church, who uh, many who would have known some of the apostles who spent time with Jesus, many of whom had letters in hand that were handwritten by uh, those who were helping the apostles get the good news out of Jesus, right? And the writer says this, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You see, they had, uh, about this, we have much to say. What is he talking about? Well, everything we've looked at for the first four and a half chapters. Laying out the good news that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's true king, true priest, true prophet, true rescuer. But we become dull of hearing and thus forget. The writer goes on to say this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. Now, when you read this, if you're like me, you can think, man, that sounds a little harsh. It sounds a little insulting, but I don't think it's meant to be taken that way. Here I see somebody writing the good news saying, look, uh, I get it. You know, life is busy. Our life is busy. It's easy to get caught up in work and family and forget the good news that you have been rescued and redeemed by Christ. Hey, I get it. I mean, culture is cool. There's a lot of things you can get, get doing, and, and it can distract you from the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Or, or, hey, man, I get it. Tradition is good. Tradition's not a bad thing in so much as it points you to Christ. So it's okay to say, look, I really like this style of worship or, or the family that we came from experienced worshiping God this way. That's what I long for. That's okay. That's not bad. But in the midst of those desires and longings and pursuits, we mustn't forget The gospel, we mustn't focus on the sign, but rather what the sign points us to. And so the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that we, all people, forget the gospel, that we assume the gospel, we forget it, we marginalize the gospel in our lives, and this happens in our lives personally and in the church. We forget who Christ is and what he's done for us, and therefore we forget our identity and how we are to live. See, the writer says, look, we have much to say about the gospel. I want to teach you more and more. I want to lay out the the complexities and the beauty of the good news of Jesus, but it's so hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. It's like I have this beautiful, beautiful, operatic, poetic lyric I want to sing to you. But you're cranking up the heavy metal, right? I mean... Turn it down a bit so that your ears can hear the beauty of what I want to say. The writer says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. I mean, you should have grown in your faith to a point that you should be 
just describing and teaching the complexities of the gospel to others, but you're not because you, you've forgotten the gospel already. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles. You need milk, not solid food. So what ways do you forget the gospel? Let's be honest for a moment. We all forget the gospel. The first century church forgot the gospel, which is why the writer's writing to the first century church saying, look, you forget the gospel. How does gospel amnesia express itself in your life today? All of us deal with it, so be honest. What distracts you from the beauty of the good news of Jesus? Are you plagued by the guilt and shame of your past, thinking, God can never forgive me for what I've done? Jeremy, you don't know the background I have. You don't know the environment I grew up in. You didn't know me in college. You don't know how wicked I was. And you think, God could never forgive me. God could never accept me. Friends, the good news is that in Christ you are accepted. In Christ you are forgiven. In Christ you were made clean. You were not identified with the sins of your past, the guilt and shame that come with your past. So if you're here today and you're carrying guilt and shame with you, you're forgetting the gospel that in Christ you are forgiven, you are set free. And I don't want you to be dull of hearing. I want you to hear again. I want to teach you uh, quite simply the basicness, the basic principles of the good news of Christ is that in, in Christ you are made clean. You're a new creation. You are forgiven of your past. You are set free from your guilt and shame. Or maybe you're here today and you operate in fear. You think, man, I, I want God to accept me because when I die, I don't want to like go to hell, right? Or I'm afraid that if I don't uh, walk the straight and narrow on this earth, God is going to strike me down with lightning. He's an angry God who wants bad for me, so I better, I better do good. And maybe your whole life is operated by fear. But friends, the good news is that the wrath of God is no longer on you for your wickedness. The wrath of God has been placed on Christ so that you are set free from the wrath of God. Therefore, you don't operate in fear. Jesus has taken the punishment for your sin for you. Therefore, you don't have to worry about walking the straight and narrow lest God strike you down. God struck Jesus down on your behalf. Therefore, you don't operate in fear anymore or guilt, or shame. Or in our context today, we often operate in pride, right? Does anybody have pride in the room thinking, well, thank God I'm not like that person. Or, you know what, I, uh, I feel like I um, you know, can exhibit spiritual strengths. And I'll just be honest with you, this, this set of verses has been used in the most prideful ways in discourse with other Christians, even other pastors. Right? I mean, so many times I've talked with people and said, well, I'm done with the milk. I need some meat. Right? And that's not the tone of this verse at all when it says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So many times I've heard that illustration bent out of whack. And I've, I've even had people say, Jeremy, you're a good milk teacher. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm teaching you milk? You know, whatever. <laughs> what happens is even in our context today, pride can be what fuels us. Sometimes it's guilt and shame. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's like, well, I have this theological understanding or this traditional framework that I like better and yours is not right. Yours isn't good enough. Friends, let me tell you, 
All of this fits somewhere in one of those categories. And I want us to be honest with who we are and how we are. Because those are three, just three examples of how we forget the gospel, how we have gospel amnesia. And if you're like me, you probably hop between all three of those categories. Sometimes a little bit of pride, sometimes a little bit of fear, sometimes guilt and shame. Or maybe I'm the only messed up person in the room, but hey, more gospel for me. It's cool. See, the good news is we do not, we no longer operate in pride of how we can do things on our own. We no longer operate in fear of how angry God may be at us. We no longer operate in guilt and shame because of the mistakes and brokenness of our past or present. But rather, we celebrate the good news of who Christ is and what he's done. And so, let's be honest. How do you forget the gospel? And what ways do you forget the gospel? And what are the effects of your gospel amnesia? Because it can shape your motivations. It can shape how you sleep at night. It can shape what drives you to the Bible or away from the Bible. It can shape, it can, it can shape how you relate to other people in the church, how you relate to non-Christians. I've seen so much pride cause discord and disunity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because those involved forget the gospel. And they operate in pride. I've seen fear, guilt, and shame drive others away from the church because they, they fear not being accepted by believers because of the, of the mistakes they've made. And it breaks my heart. All of that comes from forgetting the good news, that in Christ we are accepted, in Christ we are forgiven, in Christ we are loved by God, in Christ we have a new identity and a new way of living. So as we move forward... It's okay for us to pause and say, Jeremy, I need a little milk. That's not an insult. Don't, don't in your pride say, I'm only a meat eater. I want doctrine. Here's some doctrine for you. Pride is the enemy of the gospel. Get rid of your pride and say, I need to suck a little milk for a second. We all need that from time to time. The writer of the gospel is saying that. The writer of Hebrews is saying that. He's not saying, you fools, we only do steak around here. So let's pause for a second. You need milk. You need milk. That's in the Bible. Let's pause. Get a little milk in us. On the milk note, let me just tell you, one of the milkiest, awesomest, most doctrinally rich things you can do is go buy a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Right? If you don't have children, buy it anyway and read it from cover to cover and you will weep by the time you get to the end of it. We're reading this with our children now and I cry almost every time I read it because the writer does such a great job of taking some delicious, meaty goodness and making it kind of milky so we can all digest it and it is some sweet, sweet milk. So read the Jesus Storybook Bible. You're welcome. The writer says this, You have become dull of hearing. Now, I don't think he's saying it in anger. You bunch of hard-headed people, I don't think he's saying that at all. You've become dull of hearing. With a little compassion, with a little pastoral care, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. It's not an insult. It's just, hey, I love you, so I'm going to write something to you real quick just to remind you. You need milk right now. Milk is good. You ever have a stomach virus? Right? It's horrible. 
It's a nightmare. We had three come through our house this year. I don't know what's up. The world is broken. But after you have a stomach virus, I mean, the next day, you, you probably don't go out to, like, Golden Corral and just plow down on some food, do you? You kind of have to, like, nourish yourself back to health, a little bit, a little tiny bit of applesauce, a little water, ice chips. That's what's happening here. The writer's just saying, look, every now and then we kind of get out of whack. Our gospel amnesia looks like pride, fear, guilt, shame. It's just evidence of brokenness and sickness. So to kind of nurse us back to health, health, we can't wait to go to Outback next week. Let's just dig into some steak. But for now, let's just sip on some ice chips and applesauce. And it's okay. It's what the writer's saying here. I can't stress that enough because this, is hurt. this verse has been used to hurt me. So I'm sorry I'm camping out on it for a second. I've had so many prideful people just say, I'm a steak person, you milky, whatever. I need some milk today. I'll just be honest with you. I need milk today. My soul's a little tender because I'm one step closer to 40 today, and it's just hard for me. So the writer says, for by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles. So here we have the, the writer of this good news saying, look, I'm going, I'm going to kind of nurse you back to health. I'm going to give you a little bit of milk and let you know the good news that Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you. Jesus has forgiven you. Your life is no longer to be characterized by guilt, shame, fear, or pride. Get those things out of the way. Let's give you milk for a little bit, and you'll have steak soon. But first, a little bit of milk. So here's some good news for you. So we all have gospel amnesia. Boom. There's a second point I want us to look at, though, is that we're not in our amnesia, our gospel amnesia, our gospel forgetfulness. We're not just to camp out there and say, well, God accepts me in my infantile spiritual state. Does he accept you in your infantile spiritual state? Yes, absolutely. But he accepts you with the goal to bring you to maturity. Right. Because maturity is the goal. Just like we all forget the gospel from time to time. We have that amnesia. We're in this infantile state needing milk. We don't stay there forever. Jesus takes us from there and grows us to maturity. And that is good news as well. Listen what the writer says. He says, verse 12, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You're not, but you ought to be. So you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food. What he's saying there is you need milk right now. Not solid food now, but milk now. We'll get solid food later. Okay, you you need to see that because he's not saying you need milk and that's all you'll ever have because you're a weak theologian and I'm better. So I'm steak and you're milk forever. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, maturity is the goal. We're going to get to steak. But before you have steak, you got to have milk. That's all he's saying here. He goes, you need milk right now. Not solid food right now, but we'll get to the state. We'll get to the solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. All right, so you see this kind of juxtaposition. It's not a permanent juxtaposition. There's, there's those who live on milk are, are kind of infantile, and those who live on solid food are mature. But this is not a, a dichotomy that lasts forever. It's not meant to be that way. See, maturity is the goal. You take those who are nursing on milk to grow them to one day feast on the solid food. If you are in this room and you have children you know what we're talking about. I mean, how many of you have children that are grow to adulthood? You send them off to college with a little infamil and a little similac and say, go to college 
and you just pack some formula for them? Probably not. There comes a point where you step-by-step introduce foods to your children in their diet. They start with milk, and then you a little juice, and then you get to the point that by the first birthday, they're like head first in a cupcake, right? That's the goal. Likewise, spiritually, we all grow at different stages and different rates, and that's okay. Don't let pride interfere with other people's discipleship. Don't let fear interfere with your own discipleship, right? It's okay to progress at different stages. I'm convinced some of us have food allergies spiritually. I'll tell you more about that another day. Kind of in a funk today. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what's wrong with me. 36 years old. Maturity is the goal. All right, you need milk right now, not solid food right now, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. So for the author to say everyone who lives on milk is unskilled is not an insult. It's not saying you were unskilled, so we're just done with you. It's saying, look, you're unskilled now, but our goal is to give you milk to build you up and bring you to the solid food table. One day you're going to get from the kids' table to the adult table at Thanksgiving dinner, and it's going to be awesome. So maturity is the goal. This is the theme of the Bible. It is God's intention from day one that his people be operating in a healthy manner in a relationship between them and God, between them and each other. And that's God's goal for his people. You see it at creation. God created the first man and the first woman to be in a great relationship with each other and a great relationship with God. But something happens. They forget the gospel. They operate in pride. Sin enters the world. That relationship between man and God is broken. That relationship between man and each other is broken. You see the pattern of life from Genesis all the way to the present is characterized by pride, fear, guilt, and shame. And all the while God is saying, let me remind you of the good news that I'm a loving father who is pursuing my wayward children that i am your rescuer you can't rescue yourself in your pride you need not fear my wrath i've given that to jesus i'm coming to save you because i'm a loving father who accepts my wayward children you see god set his people free in the book of exodus from bondage and slavery in egypt you should read the story it's awesome you should watch the cartoon it's cool too has some cool music you know exodus 34 he uh, gives some commandments, a covenant law to his people to say, look, because I'm your God, because you're my people, I want you to live this way. You're familiar with at least 10 of these commandments. There are several more. But in their own strength, people fail. Read the Ten Commandments, and you'll see that you've broken some of those probably today. Hopefully you haven't murdered anybody. Hopefully you won't after this message. People always fail in their own strength. People are imperfect. The priests of God are imperfect. The prophets of God are imperfect. The kings of God are imperfect. Every child of God is imperfect until Jesus comes. And he fulfills the law perfectly on our behalf and then positions us toward maturity. You see, when God gives the commandments to his people in Exodus, he's not saying, do these ten commandments and then you'll be accepted by me. He's saying, no, I've already freed you from bondage. I've already accepted you as my people. I've already identified you as my children. You are my children. I am your God. I am your father. Therefore, do this. You with me? He didn't give them the ten commandments and then set them free from bondage. He set them free from bondage and then gave them ten commandments. 
and said, this will make you happy. You will have a better life if you will follow my commands. If you will obey my rules, our relationship will be good. Your relationship with each other will be good. This is what I want for you. I am going to use these commandments to grow you to maturity. And God's people distrusted them and they failed. They had amnesia, gospel amnesia, forgot the good news. And then Jesus comes and fulfills everything on our behalf, positions us to equip us, to grow us to maturity. In fact, if you read the, uh, in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, area. It's awesome. Matthew 5:48, Jesus says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word for perfect means complete. It means full. It means mature. So I want to connect some dots here for you. God's people were created to be in a complete, perfect, full, mature relationship with their God. God's people were created to be in a complete, full, perfect, mature relationship with each other. Jesus sets foot on the scene and says, you as God's people should be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect, meaning you should be complete, full, and mature. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, You're acting like children when you forget the gospel, but solid food is for the mature, the perfect, the complete, the full. Follow with me here. So if God by design has made us to be complete, mature people, and sin and brokenness enters the world and makes it so we can't be complete and full and perfect and mature with God and with each other, and Jesus comes in and says, hey, I want you to be perfect. How does Jesus make that possible for us? I mean, if the Ten Commandments didn't do it, what's Jesus doing for us that's different? I mean, if if God's people forget the good news, they have a gospel amnesia all throughout history from Genesis all the way up to the time of Jesus. What's different about Jesus? What's he going to do to bring about maturity? How is Jesus going to take us from milk to solid food? And this is where you need to read the whole Bible and the New Testament, which is part of the Bible, and the Jesus story, but Bible. Jesus does unimaginable, unfathomable things for our broken minds to even comprehend. Jesus was born as a baby, fully God, fully man, left his throne on high and set foot in a stinky, dirty, broken, wicked world full of pride, not Jesus, but the world was full of pride, full of fear, full of guilt, full of shame. And Jesus sets foot humbly as a mature, perfect being. He teaches the good news of God's liberation of his people, the new identity they have set free from the bondage of sin and death and brokenness and the promise of hope toward a new life, a new life eternally and a new way of living here and now, making all things right. Jesus shows this good news. He he teaches it with his mouth and then he displays it with his life through his teaching and his, his miracles. Ultimately, by his death on a cross and rising again from the dead and ascending to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, 
And then the Apostle Paul sets foot on the scene, spreading this good news. In the book of Ephesians, which we preached through last year, the Apostle Paul says this. Listen to me on this point. Speaking of Christ here, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and, fray by the, to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Are you tracking with me here? We have gospel amnesia. We forget the good news. But the goal all along is to grow to maturity. The Apostle Paul is writing here that, look, God sends apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. The whole point is that saints, believers, would grow in maturity, would be built up, would be taken from milk to solid food. It's, it's the path we're on together. Now, at what rate and pace? We don't know. It's not important. What style? I mean, some of you like to be spoon-fed. Some of you like to be bottle-fed. It's fine. The Bible doesn't tell us which way is better. It just says, look, we're going to go from milk to solid food together. And that's great. That's the goal. We are to grow to mature manhood. We are to have unity of faith and knowledge of God. We will no longer be children tossed to and fro. But we are to grow up in every way to Christ, joined together and equipped to build itself up in brotherly love. It's amazing. So friends, I want us to pause again as we've, hopefully you're taking an assessment on your heart and your mind and your life personally, in your marriage, in your family, even in this church. Say, hey, how are we doing with the gospel? Are we forgetting the gospel? Are we losing sight of the good news of who Christ is and what he's done for us? Are we forgetting our new identity and how we are to live? Are we being deceived by sin and guilt and shame? Are we being distracted by uh, things like, you know, waves of doctrine, it says, and human cunning that express itself in pride? Hmm? Friends, I want you to be informed with the with the complexities and beauty of the gospel, but I never want us to be prideful because we can say five syllable words that have Latin endings. I mean, that's cool, whatever. I love that stuff. But at the end of the day, I want you to love Jesus, regardless if you can spell sanctification or not. I don't care. I want you to experience sanctification before you can spell. I know lots of guys that can spell sanctification and they don't experience it. And it's really sad. Seminaries can be very dry, dry places spiritually. That's an aside back on track. So I want us to take an assessment of our hearts and our minds and our relationships with each other. Are we forgetting the gospel? Are you forgetting the gospel? And if so, may we remind ourselves that maturity is the goal. 
<clears throat> that we are to grow toward maturity in Christ personally and in community. And just as another aside, this is just one sermon full of asides here, is your personal maturity will only be experienced in the context of community. Okay? That's what Ephesians 4 tells us there, by the way. Your spiritual maturity will only be experienced in the context of a community. Okay? Ephesians 4 says it very clearly. If you're saying, Jeremy, I'm on milk, I want to go to solid food, but I don't like anybody, then you will be on milk till the day you die. If you want solid food, you got to dine at the table with other people who are throwing spaghetti noodles everywhere and spilling milk, and it's a mess. Come to my house for dinner and watch how fun it can be, and that's a spiritual example of what's going on here. You got to sit at the table with other people who may smack loud when they eat. They may, you know, just be gross, but that's spiritual life together. Your spiritual maturity will only happen in the context of a community. Ephesians makes that super clear. It's an imperfect community, but nonetheless, it's God's plan for us. And it's so fun, and I like it better this way. Pass the potatoes. Some other examples of the way we are to grow toward maturity. If you want, you know, kind of, if you're like me and you're like, I want some descriptors of spiritual maturity, read Ephesians 4. Read the one another's in Scripture. I'll post these later today. The spiritual maturity is going to be characterized by loving one another, fellowshipping with one another, forgiving one another, accepting one another, serving one another, teaching one another, being patient with one another, praying for one another, submitting to one another, and encouraging one another. Just a few examples, all from Scripture. Does that describe your life? Does that describe our relationships with each other? Does that describe this church? Because if it doesn't, that means we're still on milk and we need to go towards solid food. And we're getting there together in the context of community. All right? This doesn't mean we are perfect in every way. It means that we are growing in holiness personally and together in community. It's what Scripture tells us here that now we need milk. You need milk, but not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature. Scripture makes clear to us that Jesus takes us to maturity, as Ephesians 4 says. You're tracking with me? We're going toward maturity together. Only in Christ will we get to maturity. We experience that trajectory of maturity and holiness together. You can't do it on our own. That's what I want you to know from Ephesians. To connect Ephesians 4 to that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I want solid food. I want solid foods for the mature. You want solid food? It's for the mature. Well, how can I be mature? Ephesians 4 says, in the context of community, Christ will grow you to maturity. That's my point. I could have said that so much more eloquently. That's my point. Is if you want maturity, you want solid food, you got to be in community. Ephesians 4 makes that clear. It's a promise that Christ will equip his body to, to maturity. So plug in, dig in, make a mess. Let's get mature together and get some solid food. You game? I am. Let's go. All right. Ephesians, sorry, Hebrews 5. Solid food is for the mature, but those who... Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here's what happens next. First, we see that gospel amnesia is a very real problem, that all of us forget the gospel in one way, shape, or form. Secondly, we see that maturity is the goal. It is God's plan for you and me and us together to grow toward maturity, to go from milk to solid food, right? Gospel amnesia is a problem. Maturity is the goal. Thirdly, we see that holiness is an ongoing practice of growth. That's the word sanctification. 
It's an ongoing practice, right? So we see that we see that the goal is maturity. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. You see that? Maturity is the goal. How do we get there? Trained by constant practice. We get the word discipleship from the word discipline. Discipline is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We are to be disciplined in the faith to constantly practice the faith together in community. That's how we grow to maturity. You can't do it on your own. We've got to do it together. You can't do it by checking out. You've got to dig in and get involved and get dirty. And it's fun. So holiness is an ongoing practice of growth and sanctification. Just like nourishment starts with a little bit of milk as a child, it doesn't stay there, but you progress to other kind of liquid blended foods like applesauce, and then you get up to more solid foods, and then one day you'll be eating steak at Outback, and it's jamming, and it's awesome. And this is what happens here. Holiness is the goal. Maturity is the goal. This is sanctification as we practice constantly. We are trained by constant practice together. Together we try and fail, but we'll practice constantly to love one another. Together we will practice fellowshipping with one another. Together we will constantly practice to forgive one another and accept one another. We practice serving one another. We practice teaching one another. We practice being patient with one another. We practice praying for one another. We practice submitting to one another. We practice encouraging one another. And we mess up and we fail and it doesn't always work out. But we practice. We are diligent. We are the ones who are trained by constant practice, Scripture says. Sometimes you have to just make yourself do it. Not out of obligation, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of pride, but because you're saying, I trust that God has me here now to do this thing for my good and the good of his people and for his glory, right? I don't always feel like getting up. I didn't feel like getting up this morning. I don't feel well. I have NyQuil. It's my birthday. I just want to stay home. But I was like, you know what? I need to hear the gospel today. I need to fellowship with other believers. I need to hug people. I need people to pray for me. I want to go serve one another. I, want to, I get so encouraged when I come in here and I'm like, my little boy, he's four, helped set up these chairs this morning. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? My four-year-old boy is experiencing the one anotherness of the gospel. <laughs> he's serving. He served you. He set up those chairs. If they're crooked, it's fault. The boy's awesome. Right? Holiness is an ongoing practice of growth. Here at Redemption Church, we have several ways to do that. We gather to worship with one another. We gather in missional communities. There are DNA groups, mentoring relationships forming, service teams. Man, never discount the, the beauty of what God will do when you're unstacking chairs or stacking up chairs in this room. No lie, man. God does amazing things here. Redemption Kids, if you like kids, we would love for you to serve in Redemption Kids, man. My kids would love to get to know you. You would love to get to know my kids. There are like two dozen kids in this, represented in this church. It's awesome. There's some wonderful little saints being grown over there. You could be a part of that. So what are some characteristics of maturity? And in what ways do we fail at this? So they have to lift you up and then tear you down again. Here's what happens. 
This is what I want us to know, because what I want us to see is that we have gospel amnesia because we forget the gospel, and then maturity is the goal, but we can't go from forgetfulness to maturity without the help of Christ. He does that by throwing us in community so that we can experience his graces together. Because together we experience the grace of the gospel and the good news of Jesus together. So um, here's what I want to ask us to do. I'm kind of scattered a little bit today. Uh, If you were here today and you were not a Christian, um, it is my hope and prayer for you that you can hear the gospel in this statement. As is that we all are broken people, riddled with sin and rebellion in our hearts and in our lives, and the only salvation, the only rescue, the only hope we have is Jesus Christ. In Christ, God accepts you and loves you. In Christ, God adopts you as his child. You are a son and daughter in a beautiful, eternal kingdom. And that only happens in Christ. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. Only in Christ are you accepted by God. That's the good news I want us all to know. That's the good news that we all must not forget. That's the good news that we have to remind ourselves of. And we do so in the context of community. And we grow toward maturity. We celebrate who God is and what he's done for us in and through Christ. So if you're not a believer, I want you to believe that. If you are a believer, we need to re-believe that. We need to ongoingly practice that. We need to have training and constant practice of that good news, living out the effects of that gospel. Here we often talk about repentance, meaning we turn from sin, from pride, from anything that distracts us from Christ, and we turn back to Jesus. So um, we're going to have a time of response here where I want us to repent, to turn from our forgetfulness and turn to Christ. The author Luma Sims, who wrote the book Gospel Amnesia, says, Grace is a tireless hunter, chasing and overpowering me every day. And friends, I want us, by God's grace, as a church community together, to grow in relationships, to look around in each other's lives and see and experience evidences of God's grace together. So your homework is to repent and believe. Your homework is to look around at the evidence of grace in your life to remind yourself of the gospel lest we forget and remind others of the gospel as well in your marriage and family and the way you parent your children in this church community in your work and in your school and in your neighborhoods. And I think that would be an awesome way to see God's kingdom break in this Christmas season. Don't you agree? Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you that you are a perfect holy God that loves imperfect unholy people. Jesus, that you are the true and better king, the true and better savior, our true and better priest, our true and better prophet. God, that you step into human history and all of our brokenness and filthiness and dirtiness. And God, that you love us and accept us as we are, how we are. God, that we don't have to clean ourselves up to make ourselves presentable to you, but rather you stoop down to relate to us on our level. But God, I thank you that you don't leave us there. God, that you were so patient and kind to give us the milk we need as babies. But God, that you grow us and develop us and mature us as your people together.
God is not perfect. We fall and skin our knees. We fight with each other. God, we forget the gospel. But God, I thank you that in your grace uh, that you chase us down and you pursue us and you remind us by throwing your goodness all over our lives. God, I pray for those in this room who do not believe. God, that you would ignite hearts and minds to believe this good news of Jesus. And for those of us who forget the gospel and our pride and fear and guilt, God, that you would wreck our hearts and minds of our gospel amnesia and remind us of your goodness to us. And God, I pray that you would indeed grow us up to mature manhood that we would grow as men and women in the gospel, that we would grow as sons and daughters of the King, that we would grow as a community of believers, as imperfect as we are, God, that this would be a community that is just saturated with grace, that is described by tons of repentance and patience and love and kindness and prayer and service. God, that we would just be a beacon of hope. God, for your glory and for our joy, and that this good news of Jesus would ripple from our lives out to the nations. God, I ask that you would do this thing in amazing ways. In Christ's name, amen.